Hey everyone, welcome to episode 220 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a photographer and digital artist who lives in Quebec, Canada, Kath Simard. Kath is a self-proclaimed composite artist whose work has a very consistent look and feel. Her artwork combines various elements from spectacular locations across the globe. Perhaps what is most refreshing about Kath's approach to her artwork is how she has embraced describing her methodology in detail when she shares it, inspiring others to learn how they can create similar artwork themselves. Kath and I spend a great deal of time in this episode describing her methods of creating composite work and how her work and viewpoints on composite photography have evolved over time. We also spend some time deconstructing various definitions of composite photography, and Kath shares her personal views on the ethics and communication challenges that surround this style of work. Well, before we get started, I wanted to update you on the work of one of our Patreon supporters, Anton Everine. Anton is the software developer behind the popular luminosity masking program, ArcPanel. Anton has made some awesome updates and released ArcPanel 3.0, which brings free luminosity masking for everyone. These are professional luminosity masks. They're intuitive and easy to use. The panel was rebuilt on the new Adobe UXP engine, making it even faster than before. New Apple M1 MacBooks are also now fully supported. To get ArcPanel right now, open Photoshop, select Plugins, Browse Plugins, and in the search field on the left, type ArcPanel. That's A-R-C-P-A-N-E-L. More details can be found at tinyurl.com slash luminositymasks, or visit the show notes. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Kath Samir, it's awesome to have you here finally. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast after all these years of listening to you. Really excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, my voice could, to, could carry you on some of your trips. Yes, absolutely. It definitely helps me uh, distracting myself from uh, the bears in the background following me. Definitely. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, here it's, I'm always worried about mountain lions, not bears, but they're equally dangerous. <laughs> they are, yes. And I have had a few encounters in the past, which maybe we can discuss a little bit uh, further in the podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, you spend time in the mountains, you're going to run into something eventually. Yep, definitely. Especially that I'm alone a lot by myself. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a lot uh, in the wilderness. I spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. I know that, you know, this show has a reputation for, you know, certain viewpoints and beliefs, but I also heavily pride myself on the fact that I love to learn other people's beliefs and thought processes. And, and I, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have you here, because I think you offer a viewpoint that has not been shared very much here on the show. So thank you. I, I appreciate uh, you for having me on this show. And I'm actually very excited to uh, be sharing a bit more, a bit more about my process and, and, the way that I approach uh, landscape photography, but also composite photography, and always happy to to talk about this subject. And yeah, no filter. I'm I'm ready. Cool. 
All right. No filters. No uh, filters. Double and Chandra right there. Yes. Cool. So, <laughs> so you know, let, let's just get to know who Kath Simmert is. Like, tell us about your journey into photography. How did you arrive at this point? Yeah. So basically right now I'm based in the Canadian Rockies and um, I've moved here about six months ago. I was based in Quebec. But my my journey in, in the photography uh, began when I uh, took a trip to Australia. So basically I... I was working in the fashion industry as a fashion model and a fashion stylist. And I did that for about 10 years. And I kind of got sick a little bit of the industry and the values. And I was not really uh, feeling any kind of passion from uh, from my work. So I decided to um, sell all my designer clothing, um, break the lease of my apartment, and uh, with that money, uh, buy a one-way ticket to Australia. And uh, I, I, I ended up staying there for about two years, working at Banana Farm, doing some cherry picking, uh, traveling a little bit, but mostly uh, to work and kind of just like really start over. So it was a pretty big difference going from the fashion industry to like working at a banana farm and be dirty every day. And it was it was pretty crazy. And I was actually doing the dirtiest job over there. So my job was to take out the bags out of the banana bunch so when I would do that, all the snakes and the spiders would like go on me and it was kind of crazy. But somehow I really enjoy this um, kind of like new start and, and, and do something very different. And um, while being in Australia, I was taking photos with my iPhone tree. And uh, I think it was back in like 2014 or, or something. Old school. <laughs> yeah, pretty old school. I was just like taking photos, uh, I don't know, of my adventures, like going on, on really small hikes or the beach, whatever was in front of me. And um, I got um, contacted by a brand, an Australian brand, and they do uh, bandanas, kind of like buff. And they were like, hey, like, we love your photography. Would you like to take photos of our products like in, in the environment that you are in? And and I said yes, even if I had zero experience with photography, no camera gear. And I said yes. And then um, they sent me, I think, well, I don't know what, 1000 bucks or something. And then with that, I bought my first camera equipment. And I learned photography by taking photos of people wearing bandanas, doing all sorts of activities like running, hiking, backpacking, whatever. Um, and yeah, this this is kind of like how I... I learned photography and um, I did that for about six months while still working at the banana farm and uh, saving some money. And then I, I kind of like got into Instagram and I was seeing like other photographers, what they were doing. And I was just really feeling inspired by these photographers. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Like I could make a living out of creating and hiking and traveling. Like why not try it? So I decided to take a three-month solo trip that started in Indonesia and then Hawaii. And then I ended up in the Canadian Rockies. And it was the first time for me to see mountains that huge. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this is so amazing. Glacier lakes, glacier. I've never seen that before. And I kind of like discovered my passion for the mountains and the wilderness uh, in the Canadian Rockies. And it was really kind of like my first love over there. Um, and then I started to go on, go do some hiking. Um, 
I remember I did a, a scramble uh, with just like a bunch of strangers. So there are some like Facebook groups uh, where you can meet up with like a bunch of people. Okay, let's go on a hike. So we decided to do this hike, which was supposed to be just like a quick scramble. Like, hey, like we're seeing like a mountaintop. Let's try to go there. And I've never done this before. And it was just so amazing. So what was supposed to be like a four-hour scramble turned out to be a 12-hour adventure just walking along the mountain ridge and then discovering like glacier lakes and glaciers and crossing rivers. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is such like crazy adventure. And it's just like some feelings that I have never experienced before. And I had my camera at the time. I think I had the Sony A6000 with the 1634 F4. And I was just like taking some photos along the way. And then there's one point where we reach a really crazy viewpoint of a glacier transforming into a glacier lake, going into a, a waterfall, going into another glacier lake. And I took some photos and I was like, wow, like this is just freaking amazing. And I remember at that moment, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is, I've never felt such a greater feeling of like satisfaction, passion, feeling free. Just like all these good feelings that you get when you know that you're just doing the right thing. And this is kind of how I got into landscape photography by going on hikes and taking some photos and kind of like especially discovering new places. So, so yeah. this was like uh, 2015, 16? 16. Yeah, 2016, yeah. Okay, so, so before that you hadn't had a ton of experiences in the outdoors it sounds like? Not really. Like I, you know, when I look back at my childhood, like maybe, you know, I was doing some outdoorsy activities, um, a tiny bit of hiking, maybe a tiny bit of camping, but just not that much. Like, um, so it was, it re kind of caught me off guard to really become passionate about something that I did not know that I had in myself. And I just really feel that the trigger was, the Canadian Rockies, just like seeing this scenery that I've never seen before. And yeah, I just didn't know that I had that in, in myself before that I was big city girl, like <laughs> fashion, high heels, uh, just completely the, the opposite of what, what I am today. So it's, yeah, it's been very interesting uh, to see my kind of transformation through the years. So after witnessing some of those scenes, I am, um... I'm guessing that really propelled you in terms of wanting to do more of that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I remember after that trip, I came back to Quebec and I was like, I need to go back to the mountains. I just felt that calling, but also just the, the, the traveling. Um, I did not travel a bunch before that, before Australia. So even that desire to, to travel was really new to me. Um, And uh, basically, I decided to kind of redo the same thing that I did in Australia, but in New Zealand. So then I took a trip to New Zealand and I, um, I was working uh, during the week uh, at a hotel in Mount Cook National Park. Mm -hmm. And I was doing some housekeeping during the day. And then on the weekends, I would go out and go shoot and go explore the park and also This is kind of where I started to learn a bit more about uh, astrophotography. Um, so they have dark, they have a dark sky reserve in Mount Cook National Park. So it's a pretty cool spot to learn about astro. And I just kind of like also discovered my, my new passion for uh, 
the darkness and the stars and astrophotography. And this is kind of how I, I, I started to, to explore more of this style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, having really immersed yourself qu- quite quickly, starting in 15, 16, what were your approaches to, to learning photography? Yeah, I, I thought about it, about that a lot. And I, I think that I'm a bit uh, of a compulsive learner. Um, so I'm a little bit obsessive. So when I, when I get something that I'm really, really interested in, I just go full on and I just put all my time and energy uh, into that. So really quickly after the, the Canadian Rockies trip, I was already learning about Lightroom and Photoshop and I was already even experimenting with composites and I, I was just like editing every day. And at that time I had like a day job. I was working at the government. So just kind of like, you know, classifying paper, like just, you know, putting some, <laughs> just sitting at a desk. It was not really me, but I remember I was, I was kind of like working during the day and then coming back home and just obsessively editing for the rest of the night and then just trying to learn as much as I could uh, by myself. Like, I don't think I've ever bought any tutorial or early on. It was just really about kind of like experimenting and seeing what I like, what I don't like. Um, yeah, so it's very, I'm, I would say self-taught, uh, but I mm-hmm. will say also looking at the uh, at photographers that inspire me and try to understand why they inspire me. Okay, they inspire me because their style is dark and moody. So maybe I can try to emulate something that is kind of similar in my images. And, you know, when you when you start learning, oftentimes you want to kind of like imitate the people that inspires you. So yeah. I, I was definitely in the imitation phase when it, when I started, but then eventually sure. I kind of like took my, my own path. And yeah, that's, that's how I learned. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a perfect segue for my next question because, you know, one of the things I've noticed about your work is that it has a very consistent feel to it. Yeah. And I mean, you've even released a, an editing suite recently that showcases that style front and center. So what steps did you take to develop that personal style over the, the time that you've been a photographer? Yeah, I think, I think that uh, personal style is, for me, it was really innate. Like I feel that even when I look back at my fashion styling uh, work, it was very dark, moody, futuristic, blue, cold. And I just feel that I have kept this aesthetic through my landscape work. Um, so it's it really comes from personal preferences. Um, but also, it, weirdly, every time that I would edit an image, I would just end up doing the kind of same edit uh, because that, that was what was speaking to me. And I remember like I was showing my photos to my friends and and they were like, maybe you should try like warmer colors. Like it, it looks good. And I'm like, maybe I should try. And then I was trying and then I would always go back to you know, just darkening down everything and making it very like cold looking and blue. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't. It's just not, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I just, it's just really, it's an aesthetic that I'm really attracted to. And I just always go back to that kind of aesthetic. So when I learned, uh, asked for photography in, in the New Zealand, it really changed my game. I was like, okay, this is what I love. Like blue hour blends with sometimes some stars, sometimes some mood, but just like cold looking, dark images. 
have always kind of spoken to me somehow. I tried. Mm -hmm. I tried to do warmer colors, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I would love to see you try to do some desert photography. <laughs> I would probably go shoot at blue hour and then wait for the stars and do some sort of composite or blending 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the things I wanted to touch on um, about your photography and your style but then also hearing how passionately you describe your first experiences up on those high peaks in the Canadian Rockies. I'm curious about what your thoughts are on now around the pre-visualization process versus the experiences of being in the most stunning places on earth and the tension between being presented with amazing beauty and then wanting to take that amazing beauty somewhere else in your editing process. Like, how do you like, where, where, how does your brain work to, to go from that point to this point? Yeah. Um, I feel that I, I perhaps have a different way to experience the landscape compared to maybe more traditional landscape photographers. Um, with, with the years, I have kind of realized that it is very important for me to inject myself in the landscape rather than just photographing what's in front of me. So um, I have kind of like two ways to work. Um, I like to do some scouting before just to give myself an idea of, um, you know, what, what the place looks like. So then the scouting can be done either on social media. And when I do scout on social media, uh, for example, Instagram, and then you, you find a geotag, I like to look at non-professional photographers' images so I have a better idea of uh, what is present. And also I don't get too much influence by, let's say, the more professional photos there because I really want to have my own personal interpretation of the, of the place. Um, and then I also sometimes do like some Google Earth scouting, let's say for, for uh, my trek in Peru. I just like to give myself an idea of the kind of like perspective that I can get. But most of the time I go on location during the day and I just spend an entire day walking around, looking around, trying to find either angles or trying to find either little pieces of the landscape that I can composite into a, a final uh, image. So it's it's there's like kind of like a meditative process about it. And it's really more about how can I interpret the landscape rather than how can I capture the landscape? So it's really, it's really about creating something more than capturing something. Um, and this is usually how I feel fulfillment in my work and how I connect more with my work. Um, so when it comes to like pre-visualization, I do um, try to kind of like go on the location, simmer some ideas that I could have, and then come back and then either take a single shot or take different pieces of the landscape to create something final. Um, yeah. So I, and after that, when I come back home, um, I like to actually leave these images, these images in the hard drive as long as I can. So then I can kind of dissociate with the experience. And then when I come back to it, I, I have a, I have a fresh view because I feel that sometimes when you go somewhere and then if, if you come back right away and then you edit the images, it's like, oh, that was so, so awesome. And you still have that feeling of the experience. But then when you take the time to dis dissociate from the experience and then you come back to the images, 
your 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 role as a photographer is to bring back these feelings in with the edit um so it's i think it's like a good exercise to uh, um uh, to inject your your own kind of like vision and feelings into the the final image rather if it's a single shot or a composite so yeah yeah i struggle a lot with that whole how long do i wait to edit the photo thing too because on one hand I want it to be, I want the experience I had to be fresh when I'm editing. But on the other hand, I don't want to be over influenced by that experience as well. So it's, yeah. it's a, it's a very tricky balance to, to, to strike. Very. I feel that sometimes you're like, oh, like I have put so much work and effort into getting that image and, and you come back home and like, you're kind of biased by all the hard work you have put in. And then you like, let's say if from an outside perspective, it maybe it would not look like that much of a great image, if you know what I mean. Like maybe the composition the composition is off, or maybe you're thinking that it's a great image because of all the hard work that is behind it. But at the end of the day, like photography or any artwork, it like the, the visual component is what is what people see first and then they know about the story. Right. So I think that's a, like a good exercise of uh, like really focusing on the visual first and then the story by kind of like waiting a long time to edit. I think the longest I have made an image simmer was probably two years. It's it's so bad. I, I think. I that's think not it, that bad. It's not that bad? Okay. No. <laughs> Makes me feel better. <laughs> no, I was talking to David Thompson about this a couple of months ago, and he yeah. said sometimes he has stuff that's like four or five years old. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's next level, yeah. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's kind of like interesting because when I look at my best work, it's usually the images that I l let simmer uh -huh. the longest. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I just don't have that patience. <laughs> <laughs> Because what I've noticed is like, if I don't edit it pretty quickly, I'll forget about it. Yeah. Like it just, it just becomes like this orphaned file in my hard drive that I just never look at. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. At the same time, there's the excitement of just like, oh, like that was so epic. I want to edit it now and like share it with the world. So I yeah, definitely yeah. understand this feeling. For sure. And especially yeah. if it's like um, some kind of special event that occurred, you know, like a meteor shower or something. It, yeah kind of kind of makes sense to edit it for relatively sure. quickly but yeah 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 i agree with that all right well so let's let's get into some more controversial territory <laughs> so one of the things i appreciate about you is that you know you're a self-proclaimed composite artist mm -hmm. what why in your mind is it important to distinguish your to distinguish yourself in that way yeah i think i think for me it's it really makes the separation between landscape photography and composite photography because when you go somewhere and you try to capture the natural landscape that's more touching base on landscape photography but then when you go somewhere and you want to create something that is kind of like halfway between reality and your imagination that's more about composite photography it's more about interpreting like just a, the landscape in a way that you're injecting yourself in the landscape that being said, there's still ways to inject yourself in the landscape and with landscape photography. But sure. I think it just I think it's just like, what's the artistic intent? Is it to um, represent reality or like create an image or edit an image in a way that it represents a an experience that actually happened, or is it to do a creation? 
And uh, like, even for my own work, I like to distinguish both. Like if I post a single shot, an image, for example, a rainbow that appeared in front of like that really cool peak in Patagonia, I do want people to know that this actually happened. But then if I would composite a rainbow in front of a, in front of a mountain, I would like people to know that it's a composite, that it's a creation. I just really don't feel any, I don't think that this should be any, I don't think there would be any uh, controversial kind of uh, needed between both. It's just like, it is what it is, you know, single shots, composites. Like there shouldn't be any kind of like weird feelings related to that. If it's a creation, it's a creation. If it's a single shot, it's a single shot. Like what's the, what's your goal with that, you know? Um, so I, I think it's actually um, pretty important for me to distinguish myself as a composite artist because people know that the final uh, product is a composite that sometimes is close to reality, sometimes that is very far from reality, but it's still a composite. Um, and I think also it just like gives some more perspective about landscape photography and composite photography, and it gives more information uh, to people that view my images and, you know, they can read the entire thing and they can be, oh, it's a composite. So she took all the elements separately. So this is how I would need to approach this landscape if I would want to come to a similar result or something. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it, it seems to me like it would be advantageous for, like, for example, if you were trying to put yourself out there as a instructor, for example. Yeah. Like you're basically saying to the world, hey, this is how I'm differentiating myself as an artist. And if you want to create stuff that's like this, I can show you how to do that. Yes, exactly. And I do have clients that join my workshops specifically to learn about composite photography. I also have clients who join my workshops just for landscape photography. And then sure. I, I try not to impose everything, anything. And then I just kind of propose you know the concept of composite photography some people will like it some people will not like it and that's totally fine like I can teach both and it's just like up to the individual to see what they want to do with the, the with the scene like so yeah I think I think it's 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 important to distinguish both especially as an instructor yeah I, I guess I should have started with this question but uh, <laughs> you know I get a lot of questions from listeners about the varying definitions of composites. How would you define composites? Yeah um, I think for example, I, I like to def the, make the difference between a time blend and a composite. So let's say a time blend it's the um, it's, it's, it's it's a special exposure blending technique that um, Basically, you take different image um, taken over a different period of time, but of the same scene. So you right. will not move the camera. So you're basically photographing the natural sky that would happen, let's say, behind a mountain or behind an element, um, but without moving the camera. Rather than composites, it's more about photographing different elements that can be from different locations or different places. And the, the, the composite world can be very, very wide. It can be photographing different elements from the same place or photographing different elements from different locations. Um, so for example, when I started in landscape and in composite photography, I had no problem taking a foreground from Argentina and compositing it with a, um, a sky from Nepal, because for me, it was really about creating something. It was more about a creation and there was 
nothing related to wanted to represent reality. Uh, but then I would write in my caption, this is a composite or give some um, indication that it would be a composite. Uh, but I would say that with the years, my style has evolved in a way that I really like the challenge of taking different elements, either in a single trek, like in Peru, when I did a, I think, eight day trek in high altitude, where I photographed different elements. And then I kind of like, I created different composites out of, um, out of this trip or, or take different elements from a single location. Uh, so for example, I have a composite from Iceland with like a little cave and I just purposely came back to the same location in order to collect all the little pieces. Okay. So I have the cave in the foreground that I shot that day. And then I have the foreground, uh, the blue hour foreground, and then I have the Aurora, but all from the same location pointing in the same direction. So I think there are different um, variations into composite photography, and it just depends on, you know, what are your limits for your own photography and what makes you feel the most satisfied and what makes you feel that you connect the more with your own work. So it just depends. And one of the things I appreciate about um, the way you talk about your images is often I see people you know, questioning you about like, hey, the Milky Way is the wrong direction or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I did that on purpose. Did you read the caption? Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you, I, I, I'm assuming you, you get a lot of, um, I don't know, negative comments um, or at least questioning comments on your images. And I'm curious kind of what your feelings are on that and like what is your approach to responding to those? Yeah. Um, I So I began to have more questions or negative comments about my photography uh, back in New Zealand. And it's, it's really interesting because what I was doing, I was not really aware that it was composites. And for me, I just thought that, you know, no problem, Milky Way, whatever, post it without saying it's a composite. I just did not have that notion that there is an ethical side of it. Uh, so then I would post, for example, like I, I posted a shot of... Um, foreground that was taken a certain direction and then a Milky Way that was taken another direction. And then I got a comment from, um, you know, a local, um, local New Zealand um, photographer who was like, this is not possible, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of like blew up on, on internet. And it actually made me think like, why is this such a sensitive subject with I, which I do understand today? Uh, and, and, you know, what's kind of like my role into presenting my work into a certain way that it does not deceive people. And I kind of like, you know, I'm very transparent. So after this, um, every single, well, every single slowly, um, when I would get negative, negative comments, um, I would just be straightforward and very transparent. And I feel that being very, um, transparent kind of like eliminates negative comments because there's no lying and there's no deceiving. And right. it's so slowly, the more I would share about my process and the more that I would say, okay, composite, or at least kind of explain it in a way that the, the, let's say the foreground or the different elements were taken differently, the least that I would get negative comments. And I do get negative comments every day until today. Uh, but I, I, I choose to ignore the negative comments where I see that there's, uh, that maybe the person is very close-minded, but um, I do choose to uh, converse with other people that are generally interested in my process. And that I think that usually gives them a better um, understanding of my process when I take the time to discuss with them 
like why do I choose to put a milk you in a foreground in the wrong direction or or something like that um and actually like some of my best friends now uh well one of my best friend um started by a conversation around composites and then I kind of shared a bit more about my process and now he he gets it but I think the goal is not to convince anyone about anything and all I want to do is just to share my creative process and if you like it good if you don't I don't really care to be honest <laughs> so right. it's like right uh, that's the thing that I think people get hung up on is it's um just because you think it's good doesn't mean everyone else needs to also. And that's okay. You know, yes. it's, like, it's not a big deal. No, hundred percent. And I do get the, the, the side that, you know, perhaps people that are a bit against composites, but I just, I really enjoy conversing and kind of like, you know, developing on this idea and just exchanging. And I, and that's the, I think that this helps me personally understand better the other side of it. And I hope that this understand uh, better the other people to understand my side. So there's kind of like an exchange instead of just being super defensive about it or super aggressive or whatever, which sure. we do see quite often. <laughs> no, no, we don't ever see that on Instagram <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> what, so what, what is it about uh, the digital art approach that you take that you find exciting or compelling? Like what is it that, that that approach, why does that drive you? What is it? What excites you? Yeah. I think what excites me is to be guaranteed that if I go somewhere and there's someone photographing the same landscape next to me, I will come up with something more unique. I, I just I just realized that over the years, I'm really obsessed with um, putting out work that is unique. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that composite photography is a great way to uh, approach a scene um, where I can really uh, create something that will be different 100% from the person that was next to me. But that also comes from a desire to not represent reality and to inject kind of like my own, my own uh, per perception um, in the landscape. Um, so it's just so exciting to me to go somewhere and like collect different little pieces, like step by step and then go back home. And then I'm, 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 I have all of these like, different photos where I did a focus stack, a focal and blend. Uh, I photographed the sky separately to the foreground. And it's just, it's just really enjoyable for me to kind of like take all the, these little pieces of the puzzle and then just create something. So mm -hmm. it's really about the uh, post-processing or after the creation that excites me. But also when I'm in the field, like just the action to purposely choose to just photograph a foreground or a background when everybody's trying to get everything in a single shot, it's very enjoyable because I know that the final result will be different. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think I really do enjoy the post-processing and it's like essential for me to connect uh, with my work. And I have actually realized that um, if I share like single shots or uh, images that are a bit more natural uh, on my social media, I just don't, I just don't connect with them as much than the ones that I, yeah, it's, it's, I connect That's more. That's so interesting. <laughs> yes, I know. It's, but that, that. I'm like the opposite, but that's, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. But this is, the, that's the beauty of having different brains and different perspectives when it comes to uh, creating something. Totally. Yeah. I just, I, I'm like, oh, well, the person next to me could have gotten the same image. And, and then I, I'm like kind of like disappointed, you know, huh. that it's not like 
unique, even if I'm capturing a unique scene, just like that rainbow in front of the mountain, which is like pretty, I was, it was a pretty lucky moment. But for me, there's not as much satisfaction, let's say, with this image than all my other composite work where I, I took 40 hours to put everything together and then let, let, like, let the image simmer and then come back to it and then edit it again and then start over if I don't like it. I just like the hard work of creating a composite. It's just really, it makes me more proud than catching a moment in nature. So it's, yeah. I guess I can very... appreciate that. I mean, some of my favorite images are just, you know, things that literally I hiked, you know, a billion miles and climbed a mountain and yeah. got to witness some crazy sunrise. So like I can appreciate that the connection to the effort that was involved, it plays a plays a role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do think that there is a, a big difference between digital art and composite photography in terms of putting the effort. Um, so, you know, when you create digital art, you can just, that would be more like the action of just being bored on your, or your, on your computer and then finding a foreground and then finding a background or an, any sort, sort of sky from any location or year and then just slap any sky together and then put it on social media. I think for me, that's more the act of cre of digital art. And then composite photography is the act of going in nature and purposely photographing the different elements in order to create something. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, my work is, that's why it's more uh, towards composite photography because there is some sort of, you know, in the field work that that is involved like sometimes even I will collect the little pieces of my composites over years I have an image um, that I photographed the foreground in 2020 and then the background was shot in 2019 but that was from the same location from the same direction and uh, it was just like really cool to uh, see this final composite that is a blend of like multiple years but of the same location um, and, th and then rather than just you know uh, kind of playing with my images and just creating a composite. I think for me, this is not as fulfilling than purposely going in nature and putting the work to collect the little pieces of the, of the composites, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit more about the in the field approach to this type of photography. So like when you see an amazing view or like the light's really great and you're getting blown away, like you were describing, like, do you start to pre-visualize the end result of your of your creation, or are you just collecting ingredients for something later? Yeah, I think it. I think it's a mix of both. But I really think that uh, final artwork, one of my best work, uh, always come from some pre-visualization, um, which starts when I scout in the field. Mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, I have I have an image from Assiniboine, which is a really cool uh, park in the Canadian Rockies. And I went there um, three times, actually. The first time I went there, conditions were not great. Um, and it's a pretty, pretty long hike. It's like 30K in. Yeah, I think it's... I've been wanting to do that hike. I think yes, it's yeah. 18 miles. I'm pretty sure I've like yeah. got it mapped out. Like, yes. I want to do it really badly. Yeah. I know a lot of people take a helicopter in, but I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm backpacking that. Yeah, exactly. Me too. I love it. It's kind of like, I've well, okay. I have taken the, like, the helicopter the first time 
but uh, because I was with some friends and I, yeah, sure. I didn't really yeah. ended up like, um, I did not. Not up. everyone, not everyone's a masochist. Like, no, us. exactly. You know, you got to <laughs> enjoy the pain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I went there first time, did not really get anything. And then I went there a second time in 2019 and I hiked in with like all my, all my stuff uh, by myself, 30K in went up that viewpoint just to scout or try to get something, even if the weather was really crappy. And then I found that like cave that was up there. And I was like, damn, I don't think I've ever seen a shot from that spot from the cave. And I just really loved the idea of photographing this, this, this uh, landscape from the cave, but the weather was really bad. So I just ended up not really sleeping and then came back 30 K the next day. Well, 35 K the next day, and I could not walk for a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, it was horrible, especially because I brought all my uh, camping gear in my tent. And I was like, oh, maybe if they have like one cancellation, I can take. No, everything was booked. And I was just freaking miserable, staying at that viewpoint all night, crappy weather, you know, did not really sleep, came back the next day. Um, but then I had that cave in my mind and I'm like, oh, I really need I really need to find like a way to make it like my style. And I just had this idea to photograph everything at blue hour and then just have like a really clean um, night sky image and perhaps maybe some kind of mood. Um, and then I came back in uh, 2021. Uh, yes, 2021. Yes. Um, no, actually, no, 2020. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm so, yeah. No. You have a time machine. <laughs> yeah, no, 2021. It's just, you know, with COVID, you're kind of like. Oh, like you lose track. It's like COVID-19, but <laughs> it's 2021? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, you know, it's. I feel like I've lost like an entire year. Um, I totally get it. Yeah, so 2020 and uh, hiked in and then we we got like a few nights over there and then I hiked back to that, to that viewpoint, found the cave and then I was able to achieve the vision that I had for a year about this place. So photographed the cave at Blue Hour uh, and then got out of the cave, photographed the background, stayed up there, photographed the night sky. And what's actually pre pretty interesting is that the Milky Way was naturally rising behind the mountain but I purposely chose to photograph the opposite direction just to get a clean, uh, a clean uh, night sky because mm -hmm. I was already thinking, oh, I think the cave with the Milky Way was, is going to be too much in the composition. So <laughs> I'm not going to leave the natural, beautiful Milky Way that everybody's photographing behind the mountain, which is pretty lucky. And then I'm purposely going to take just one like plain night sky and then composite everything together. And then I came back home and it took me maybe... I think it took me about 40 hours of like 40, um, 40 hours of trial and error, starting again, just erasing the file. I'm kind of a bit weird for that. I just, when I'm stuck somewhere, I, I'm like, no, I need to start from over. And then sometimes it just really helps me kind of approach the scene in an entirely different way. Um, so about 40 hours of editing total just to achieve this, this final image. And uh, yeah, and then I, it's one of my favorite image and, and and then, you know, when I think about this image, I think about the hard work, the two years, um, you know, just kind of like the pain, the the, <laughs> the lack of sleep, uh, the many hours behind the computer. And it just makes me connect with it way more than any other single shot that I have. 
So I hope this makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, explaining totally it totally makes way. sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. So, what are some of the pros and cons of using these types of techniques as it relates to the state of landscape photography as an art form? Yeah. I think landscape photography should be landscape photography. I think it should be focused on um, taking the landscape or photographing the landscape in a way that it represents something that is real or something that is close to real. Um, and then when you kind of like dive into anything that involves compositing, I feel that it just kind of blurries the line between composite photography and, and, land, and um, landscape photography. So that could be a cons because it becomes very difficult to identify like what is a landscape? Like what's, is this real or is this not real? Like, you know, right. yeah. When people get so good at it, like yeah. you cannot tell. Yes, exactly. Like, I don't know. It looks pretty legit to me. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. But then you discover that, you know, it's, it's in fact like a massive focal and bland and exposure bland and just like, you know, composites. And I think these are the cons, like, especially when it comes to contests or even, mm -hmm. um, you know, sharing on social media, like sometimes, you know, I will see big travel pages sharing my composites and I'm like, but you know, this is not real, right? You know, this is like, you know, this, I mean, it could, some of my composites could be real. Like I'm slowly going towards a style of compositing that could happen. Uh, sure. But I have had some really intense composites shared that, you know, it's not, when they share it, it's not stated that it's a composite. So that can uh, be deceiving and frustrating, you know, for, for some people that think that, right. it's, that it's real. Right, so, like tourists showing up and they're like, oh, yeah, well, that's not what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then as far as techniques, like doing composite photography versus landscape photography, I, composite photography, because you're taking all the pieces separately, it does take more time behind the computer. It's, it's just it's it's kind of like the way the way that it is. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I just wish that I could go hiking instead of sitting behind a computer, you know. Um, so it's totally. kind of like it's 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 a love hate relationship with the comp compositing um but at the same time over the years i have learned to not rush my edits and for example now i'm working on a cave uh like an ice cave uh, image that i have just been working maybe one hour every week and just re-looking at it and then letting it simmer and then this kind of like allows me to still go out and shoot without having the pressure to like get this to finish done. it yeah. yeah. And I really enjoy that. I just really enjoy that. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking about composites, but this can also be applied to landscape. Like, if you oh, just, for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're just like starting over and over the edit and it's kind of like part of the process. Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to be totally honest, one of the reasons why I don't do composites anymore is the amount of time it takes to do it well is it's, it is a lot. Yes, it is a lot. A lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not just like you know, a couple hours later, you boom, you're done. I mean, no. If you're gonna create something that looks really good, I mean, yeah, you, know. you have to take the time. Like you have to blend everything together, and yeah, like I mean, when I look at my first composites, I probably created them in a few hours, and they they don't look the best. I would sure. maybe say that they look like shit. <laughs> it's like, you know, you can kind of see like the lines of the blending and everything, but that just really comes from um, perhaps not having the skills yet or not taking my time enough. And really composite photography takes time. 
is you have sure. to kind of commit to it. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> well, yeah. so, you know, on the positive side of things, you know, I feel like digital composite techniques opens up a huge world of creative possibilities, but it also makes it super easy to simulate a beautiful scene in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say to those that um, say that these techniques erode the public's trust in photography? Yeah, I think in terms of eroding, it really comes down to how you present the artwork. I don't think the techniques should be to blame here. I really think that it's the the, the artist's or the photographer's responsibility to present their artwork to the public in a way that it's fully transparent and truthful. Um, I don't, you know, I think, you know, eroding would be a word that would kind of like implies that you're trying to uh, prevent um, progression in landscape photography. You know, I think, yeah, I think it's like everything will still progress all, all types of art and we kind of like have to accept it. Um, but it's definitely, um, yeah, it's more a matter of how you present yourself. So even like when I have, let's say clients or friends that are, you know, starting a composite photography and asking me, you know, um, kind of advices about how to present their artwork, I will always say like, just say it's a composite. There's no, like, there shouldn't be any shame or like weird feelings really related to it. So I do think actually that um, these new techniques are an amazing way to uh, get more creative and expand your creativity. And uh, if you choose to do that, then just be truthful, you know? Um, So yeah, I'm actually, I have a pretty positive view when it comes to uh, composite photography, way more positive than negative. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I'm curious from your viewpoint, why do you think some people either just don't disclose it or purposely lie about it. Yeah, I, I think personally, I haven't really uh, come across people lying about it, but I have seen people not just like, I don't know, saying like a short caption, not saying anything about the fact that it's a composite. Um, I, I just feel that perhaps... Um, when you don't have a full understanding of the ethical side of composite photography, you don't really understand it. And I'm just kind of like bringing back myself to, you know, that first stage of creating composites. You're not really aware that there is an ethical side behind it. Um, so I don't really, f- I think maybe it's like 50, 50, maybe there's some people that are not, just not aware of it. And maybe there's some people that just choose not to say it because maybe they will feel that it diminishes their work uh, to say that it's not real. And um, I think for me, I have a completely opposite um, perspective on it. And I think that disclosing it and saying that it's not real and that it's a composite actually is very intriguing. Okay, so how did you create it? You know, it's kind of like it could also be seen as like inspiring, like, wow, this is not just like a simple photograph. How did you create that? You know? So it's all about kind of like switching your perspective about composite photography from something that can be seen as like a little bit more negative to something that can be seen as more inspiring and creative and like really expanding your creativity. 
Um, and you know, it's, I think it's up to everybody to, to show their work like they want, but I, I don't necessarily con- condone uh, p- people who, uh, choose not to disclose it, but I think it's always better to just be fully transparent. It's just like so much better. Like from experience, I can say that I have been way more happy fully disclosing that it's a composite rather than trying to hide it or just ignore when people say, hey, you should say it's a composite. I, I do think that there is a huge uh, positive side of it on many, many, many sides. Yeah, like I said, I think it opens up a lot of doors for personal expression and creativity. I mean, it's not... Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. think, I don't, I don't really see why people would lie about it other than not being fully um, confident with their work, you know? Hmm. I think that perhaps if you're not confident with your work and you want to pass something as real, which was not real, then maybe you might lie, you know, but if you're super confident with your work and you're like, no, like I created this purposely, you know, there shouldn't be any weird feeling about it. That darn ego getting in the way again. Yes. <laughs> it's everywhere though. It's, you know, there's egos everywhere. So, well, I mean, we all have it. It's a, uh, yes. you know, some point you become comfortable with who you actually are and it's okay. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So this is kind of an interesting listener question. Yeah. So do you have a, any personal limits on how far you want to take your post-processing? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. I think when I started, I did not, I was like, slap anything, any, goes. anything, double rainbow, whatever. No, I never actually did that. Um, but I remember like my first really big composites was a from Pato Lake in the Canadian Rockies. And I photoshopped that huge freaking rising full moon. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and I just loved it so much. I'm like, wow, this looks like awesome. Um, but like now looking at it, I'm like, huh. Like, and now living in the Canadian, the, in the Canadian Rockies, I'm like, huh. Maybe, I don't know how I feel about it now, Um, but I think that as of now, I still don't have limits. However, I do have preferences. I have been um, feeling so much more fulfillment from taking elements from the same location, going back and back, collecting different pieces uh, over, you know, a, a season or over years and kind of like just, you know, being like, okay, so that sky, like from the same spot I took the, that sky I took that cave I took that foreground I took that lake I just think it's really cool um because it it's also uh, an added challenge and it helps me connect more personally with my work with yeah. elements that are taken from the same spot yeah yeah I was gonna I was gonna posit a theory that it sounds like what's becoming more important to you is your connection to the place and to the experiences that you've had there and that having those elements be part of the same, you know, like, okay, I want this foreground and this guy to be from the same place yeah. um, because it reminds me and, and it, it I, I, I can totally see how that, yeah. um, I, how I, that w- could come to be. I think it's getting more narrow and narrow. Um, but I, I like, as of right now, for example, I did a trek in Peru. It was a, an eight day trek. And I kind of like, collected like one foreground, one Milky Way, one background, one sky over the trek. And I created, I think out of uh, eight image that I created over the trek, 
I created uh, seven out of eight images were composites. But because they were collected over like on the same kind of trek and kind of area, it, um, it just I just feel more connected to uh, these pieces than my first composites where I would take a moon from wherever. And I think it's just like really how you view your work and your perspective on your work. And it, it's normal that it evolves with the years. It's totally normal to, to, to have different feelings towards your work over the years. And yeah, I, I do think that, you know, um, just having elements from the same location or area uh, helped me better connect with my work. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I think you and I were chatting on Instagram I don't know, a month or two ago and I was showing you some of my early composite work because I used to do a lot of it that I don't think most people are aware of this, but yeah, I used to do a lot of composites um, and, you know, over time it just something I just grew less and less interested in, but mm -hmm. um, it sounds like we had a similar, you know, evolution in terms of like, oh, whatever you want to do is cool. And then like yeah. eventually you're like, no, I really like these pieces because they do this for me or whatever. So I think I appreciate that, you know, as artists, we were constantly evolving and yeah. who knows, maybe maybe in 10 years you'll be like me and I'll be like you. <laughs> exactly. Who knows? <laughs> you, know, you never know. I love it. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, tell us, uh, tell us about your 21 Shades of Blue um, course and preset pack as well as your upcoming workshops. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to put out anything um, – digital for a uh, digital course for many years. Um, but I was procrastinating <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and uh, I just, originally I just wanted to release like a preset pack uh, just to kind of like mimic the tones in my images. But then I'm, because I like to uh, create unique stuff. Um, I also wanted to put out something that is unique. So I decided to, uh, with the 21 presets, to include 21 uh, editing videos in Lightroom using the presets. Um, and it's just like about five to six to seven minutes videos, pretty quick, but it really goes through how the preset works on the image. And basically how, like, as many possibilities that you can think of to color grade <laughs> with cold tones images. Um, and also I decided to include three composite editing images uh, of really simple composites for people who would like to get started and don't really know how to approach it. Um, so that can, you know, give the option to the person to perhaps apply the preset as a base and then go in Photoshop and then um, create the composite. So this is kind of the pack. I think it's like really cool for people that don't have any knowledge with compositing and don't really know how to color grade their images uh, to give a more of a moody and cold looking uh, uh, kind of aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, leverage your experience at making bad composites. Yes. And your experience in, in learning from those mistakes. Yes. Um, I can't tell you how many times I see like really badly done composites and I'm just <laughs> cringing. I'm like, Oh, like you can see the lines. Yes. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, oh, just, yeah. Don't put that out there. <laughs> no. 
you know, it's, it's we learn from our mistakes and, you know, it's, yeah. it's... And there's a lot of mistakes involved in creating composites. There is, there is. And it's usually they're pretty obvious. Um, yeah, so this this is it for the 21 Shades of Blue. And then I do have uh, workshops right now in the Canadian Rockies. So uh, you can book me for private or small group workshops, uh, one-on-one sessions. And I do have, hopefully, hopefully, upcoming workshops in 2022, hopefully, in Iceland, Patagonia, Peru, and Scotland. So, yeah. I mean, is... I think, I know people are doing Iceland workshops right now. Ah, there you go. So maybe You're good. If, yeah. You just get your vaccine. Yeah, but this is going to take a bit of time here in Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, so lastly, I'm curious, who would you recommend um, for the podcast? Yeah, I would love to recommend my friend, uh, Ryan Newborn. He is a glacier guide in Iceland, and he's an amazing photographer. He also uh, does compositing. Uh, and he's super transparent with his process. And I just feel that he would be a really uh, amazing person to have. Also, Max Rive, one of my biggest inspiration ever. I always mention him. So, yeah, you know him. <laughs> I do. Yes. That's awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. That was really fun to, to talk with you. And, um, you know, I'm always, uh, my, DM, my DMs are open if anyone wants to chat with me about composites. And, you know, I'm very open-minded and, you know, it's it's not a very uh, sensitive topic for me. I'm actually really passionate about it. So always down for that. That's the way it should be. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks again to Kath for joining me on the podcast this week. It was great to finally get to hear about your perspectives on composite artwork, and of course, your enthusiasm is intoxicating. I am sure that even if people listening don't agree with composite work, they can feel inspired by your enthusiasm, energy, and creative thinking. To see more of Kath's work, visit her website at kathsimmer.com. Also, the conversation continues over on Patreon, where Kath and I discuss NFTs. Kath breaks down the NFT marketplace for us and discusses how you can break into this emerging marketplace if you're interested. We also discuss the climate impacts of NFTs. If that interests you, please do support the show by becoming a sustaining member on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen. I wanted to remind listeners that we have a club over on Clubhouse, the popular audio-based social media app. On our club, we have weekly after parties hosted by amazing listeners and Patreon supporters like Bree Stockwell and Michael Torkildson. The idea is to provide a platform for listeners to engage with each other after each show to have a conversation. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did one with uh, Paul Schmidt, and it was absolutely amazing um, hearing him engage with people uh, over on, on Clubhouse about the episode. So I think it's really worth your time if you can check it out and uh, also i try to make it over there as much as i can as well so if that sort of thing interests you search for our club on clubhouse or look for the link in the show notes i'd also like to take a moment to thank a couple of our newest patrons thanks to sam wilson jeff trapp and chris murray for helping to keep the show running thanks too for everyone else who has continued to support my work on patreon you are very appreciated Seriously. And if you're a long-standing Patreon supporter and there's a way that I can help you on the podcast, please do reach out. I want to help you too. 
Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.